Welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about things that are weighing on our minds. I am Trevor Christmas Kizan, and Ooh. I am on the good list this year because I couldn't go anywhere to do anything naughty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, I am Michael. Uh, sorry, I'm Michael uh, Chrismica Willer uh, <laughs> because I am half Christian, half Jewish. I'm actually neither of those, but that's how I grew up. And uh, I had to stay home this year, but I've been up to plenty of naughty things. I don't know where you've been. But... <laughs> that explains those Santa's weird calluses me. I've been seeing. Uh, my name is Donica Marshall. Uh, I am a big chubby guy living in sunny Hollywood. And uh, I I want gingerbread. That's all. Oh. That's, a, that's a fair request. Uh, my name is Dan Ulaverio, and I'm a chubby Ooh. chaser and author, public speaker, and um, yay! It's all it's all Yuli here. We have our nice little tree and our nice chilly weather with blazing sunshine because it is Los Angeles. <laughs> because of course it is. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody, and Happy Hanukkah! And we're coming up in the end of 2020, and I'm sure that's more exciting than any of these other things. <laughs> yeah, and the end is in sight. I mean, from what I've heard from the government, uh, 2020 is kind of continued until like fall of uh, 2021 next year. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, for one, am looking forward to having some time off and uh, trying to forget through much eggnog yeah. drinking, boozy eggnog drinking about everything that happened this year. So by the covered, token, Michael, it's, covered. It, I feel like it's appropriate that we're actually watching the val- vaccines rolling out as we're getting ready for Christmas. Santa's bringing vaccines. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if anyone else saw the story about Santa and Mrs. Claus infecting a bunch of kids with COVID at a mall. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's amazing. People, you can't share your cookies and milk. (laughs) I'm sorry, but like at this rate, if you're freaking sending your kids to sit on a COVID Santa's lap, that's on you. It's a season of giving, including giving COVID. Yes. That's just how it goes. <laughs> oh, but um, let's. Oh, Though, uh, let's... on that note, I, I heard a little bit of good news in the in the news this week. Uh, oh. Fauci has announced that Santa is, in fact, immune. The real Santa is immune to COVID. So Santa oh, will be making his regular rounds this year. <laughs> oh, thank God. Yeah. Yes, that is concerning. Especially because Santa's an anti-masker, so you know the fact yeah. that he's immune is <laughs> that really it a, just that's that's actually a myth. Uh, he he has his elves weave his beard together over oh, his God. mouth. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. It's, well, and him being Santa, it has antibacterial properties. It's very uh, it's very effective. And does Hanukkah uh, Harry have this problem? No, of course not. Hanukkah Harry's like been sterilized since birth by his parents. Like, <laughs> that's just how Jewish parents roll. Ah, because they've been <laughs> circumspect. Oh, well, wow. <laughs> uh, it's it's bad. It's a dark so Dan, time. Everybody. How does it feel to be on your last episode? I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, let's get right on into it. And, you know, it's not Christmas without yeah. mail from mail. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Letters to Santa or the Big Fat Gay Podcast, yes. you know, whichever you can get to. Exactly. Roll um, that beautiful mailbag music. Um, so last week we reached out to a bunch of chasers and got some really awesome responses and the episode went very long and we didn't get to get to everybody who actually wrote in. So we wanted to, uh, talk to, we have a couple more. Um, and the first guy, we had two, uh, two people to get to. One is sort of the traditional chaser experience and he has a, a unique perspective that I can't wait to get to. The other was a chub for chub writer, um, who has a totally, a unique perspective that we haven't talked about yet. And uh, we're going to, I think we're going to save that one for next week. We want, um, because it's, it's going to be a lot. And I think that we can have a really good discussion around it. Um, a lot in a good way. Yeah. It's a lot mm-hmm. in a good way. And I think that we don't want to shortchange you by trying to cram it into this episode. Um, so to get right to it, um, growing up chaser, uh, our fellow, our chaser fellow writes, uh, when I started to develop sexually, I realized not only was I gay, I was attracted to chubby and usually older guys. Uh, thus, I spent a lot of my youth wishing there was someone my age that I could be attracted to, and hopefully that person would be gay. But ultimately feeling like I'd be fantasizing about the teacher or football coach until I was 18 and went off to college. I felt slighted because I couldn't embrace my romantic side the way that my peers could. 
And when I finally did come out as a chaser to my close friends, they didn't really get it. I'm almost 30 now, and anytime I start to feel nostalgic about my teenage years, I also remember how trapped I felt and how misunderstood I was uh, just waiting to grow up. And that's something I still don't know how to do it to address. And that's where he ends. And I just want to say right off the bat, that is so, so relatable. You ba- you could have, I could have written that myself, like word for word. Um, the, the idea that you are, I mean, I think there's the added element of being attracted to older guys, which is not necessarily always the chaser experience. Although I think there is a pretty universal gay experience in there that a lot of gay teenagers uh, are attracted to older guys, but particularly the like waiting to grow up or waiting to grow older so that you could start to get to a place where your age was a little closer to the age of the people that you were interested in. Um, that's been, that's been a journey that I have gone through. I mean, starting off when I was in my late teens, dating almost exclusively 15 to 20 years older, sometimes 25, like that was, I think something that I pretty much just ignored and just went for it because it's what I wanted. Um, but at the same time, if you don't take a step back and try and find an introspective stance and a way to sort of embrace yourself and love yourself and accept that that's okay, especially if you're not getting that support from the people around you, um, it can feel like, yeah, like you're in this dark tunnel with no end in sight. Um, and I'm not much older than the person who wrote in, I just turned 30 this year. So I, I, I think the best advice I can give you is don't try to grow up too fast if you can help it. Like I felt pretty much from my mid-teens until recently, I had to try and be and appear and act as old as possible so that I could fit in amongst the people that I was attracted to and also so that the people that knew me wouldn't question whether or not I belonged in that circle um, or around those th- that company. And it just felt like this pressure to be older and look older. And that can that can really trip you up in a lot of ways. Can I just ask? So if, enjoy if, where you're at. Can I just ask what would yeah. what's an example of how you might look or try to be older? Well, for instance, uh, when I got my first uh, professional full time job when I was 25, um, I uh, was dating a guy who was a little bit older. I think he was like, what, nine years older than I was. Um, and my perception of myself was this sort of young 20s guy i had just moved to la and everyone had this pressure on me to be like the hot young twink thing and wear tight fitting clothes and do that whole thing and i rebelled against that i hated that i wanted to be taken more seriously and appear more mature and so i went out as i got this job i went out and bought like a whole new wardrobe of basically what I thought were like grown up clothes and quotes mm. like slacks, nice leather shoes, um, you know, like vests and button down shirts and just, you know, basically like professional office setting clothes. But really it was so that I could feel like I, like it was almost an imposter syndrome thing. Like I felt like I was too young and so that I had to kind of project this age out into the world and buying a whole new wardrobe was one of the ways that I did it. Mm. And I don't wear those clothes anymore, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, is that because you feel because there's really there's kind of two things here. Um, there is, as you say, a lot of gay men uh, in their teens look up to older men, either as mentors or even as uh, uh, sexual fantasies or even partners. And mm-hmm. and then there's the Chub Chaser thing, which we've talked a lot about. The question sometimes is whether you find like is the, if you're 16 years old. And you're just gaga over the the coach or the English teacher who's in his 30s. And, you know, you find yourself consistently attracted to people, you know, in their 30s. And that's something you, you have as a 16 year old. And then the thing to look at is, does that remain like when you're in your 30s? Are you still attracted to people in their 30s? Or now that you're in your 30s, do you look at people who are in their 50s and 60s? which can be something else, which is like you're always looking for older and it kind of follows you. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just it's just a difference between whether you're attracted to this particular kind of older icon who is 30 something or whether it's actually something that follows you and grows up with you. Yeah, I think that's a really clear difference, because for me, it has shifted as I've gotten older. And I think, Trevor, you and I have also talked about this, too, the idea that being with and around people my own age really didn't appeal that much because it just 
I felt like I didn't belong amongst them. And I felt like they were somehow, I don't know, like immature or kind of, I don't know, flaky yeah. or just like not but, relating to my own generation. Trevor's told yeah. me that about himself too. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I've definitely felt that with kind of, you know, people my age, but then I think with dating and like chasers, I have always kind of gravitated towards older guys. But part of that for me kind of within the chip chaser world is I feel like older guys tend to have their shit together and they've worked through some of those issues that younger guys necessarily, you know, mm -hmm. might not necessarily have done. I think um, that's definitely yeah. true because, you know, if you're, if you're fat from birth or almost, you know, you have a lot of tactics, you have a lot of experience dealing with fat phobia and fat oppression. And you, you know, you, by the time you're 16, you like, you know how this game goes. On the other hand, if you're a chubby chaser, you haven't dealt with that. And when it does, when the sex train does hit you in adolescence at about 16 or 15 <laughs> or whatever, and you have no experience dealing with fat phobia or fat oppression, even though it does affect you indirectly. And so what happens is because chasers can pass, I think we're also handicapped in our development, which is why it takes us longer to get our shit together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something you said there made me curious. To, uh, Dan, Michael, did either of you have any preconceptions about what life was for a fat guy that proved to be completely off or well it's different for me because i was a fat kid so i had a, i i think that's also helped me as a chaser that i have an instinctual appreciation of what that's like but um i don't know michael i oh that's an interesting question i think i've certainly learned a lot like there's a lot of stuff that i never thought about that i did learn eventually just from dating and being around fat guys so i uh, as far as assumptions I think I just, I listened. Like, I don't think I tried to make too many assumptions. I think I just tried to pay attention to the people I was around to see what they needed, whether or not they were saying it out loud. And I, I think that was more valuable than trying to make an assessment on my own. That's really key because that the whole listening thing, like I, I talk a lot about that. And whether you're a chaser, whether you're encouraged or anything like that, it's it's really when dates go bad and the chaser's being a jerk, it's almost always because the chaser has this fantasy that is not lining up with the human being in front of him. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you just are present to who you're with and Michael has very adeptly called that listening, if you just listen <laughs> and get, you know, and you know, get your dick out of the way, you will have a great date and a great experience with a great guy. And, you know, I, it's not to say the chubs don't do this, too, but it's I think it's even more common with chasers because there is that sense. I think, Don, you talked about this in the last episode where like, OK, we're in the bedroom, you know, and you hear the starter pistol <laughs> and, and you're <laughs> off to the races. And all of a sudden it's just this, yep. what, what what what's going on? What? what oh, OK, sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's disconnected from the rest of the date, if I understood mm -hmm. you correctly. I have uh, <clears throat> the first guy I ever really enjoyed being with was also the first guy who was capable of still being himself enough in the bedroom where he could laugh and be goofy in the bedroom. Oh, right? God, yes. God, that's that was great. the. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. the majority of people I know when when it's bedroom time, they get super serious. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> what we're doing here fundamentally and objectively is kind of silly. Like it's it's sort of funny and it's goofy and like just freaking enjoy it. This is not freaking war and peace we're writing. You know? I wonder how much of that comes from from porn. I I recently listened to uh, a, a series. I, I subscribed to the series of lectures about sex education, and one of the things that they were talking about is talking about porn with young people. Now they don't show porn to the high schoolers, but they definitely kind of take it for granted that most high schoolers have seen or at least heard about porn. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that performative aspect that you're talking about, Don, is from people watching porn or watching even just like, you know, sexy movies where like hmm. it is such a staged and performative event that people mm -hmm. forget to be themselves. I also wonder if another aspect could be just uh, basic insecurity. Like if you mm. aren't secure yeah. in your own attractions, then you, you might find that you, you have to take it really seriously because to be able to laugh at yourself or to be able to laugh at the situation, if something slips or whatever, and it's a little goofy and 
to be able to do that, you have to be very secure in what's happening generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if you're not there, then it might feel like you have to, you know, it might feel like such a serious prospect because you're you're trying really hard because yeah. you don't have that confidence. Look, if I'm choosing to spend some time in the bedroom with you, it's because I like you, yeah. right? Uh, if mm. you become someone else in the bedroom, that's defeating the entire purpose. Um, I actually had a weird experience with a guy who I think he had what, what's the best way to put this? Porn face, I guess. Yes. He had a, he had a performance <laughs> face that unfortunately was actually rather bad. It kind of looked like he was about to eat me but like in a really bad way. Um, oh, I, man. I wasn't with him long enough to broach the topic, but, you know, it was... Mm, that was wildly uncomfortable. Like, have I just like invited Jeffrey Dahmer into my home? This is about. Oh me. dear. <laughs> um. Well, maybe to to summarize it to wrap up for our, our chaser listener. Um, for me, and I don't know if this is your journey, but for me, uh, it just took a little bit of time. And you're almost thirty now. My tastes and my attractions broadened as I got older. In the se- particularly when we talk about age. So as I got older somebody my age became much, much more appealing. Um, and I think part of it was just my own journey and my own acceptance and my own, you know, growth as a person. But also the idea that, you know, if somebody who's 20 and and lives like they're 20 is not appealing to you, well, somebody who's 30 is going to be very, very different from that. Um, and they don't necessarily have to be 50 or 80. Um, but as Dan was saying before, there's also a different thing where that really is yeah. as almost as much as being a chaser and interested in fat. Like, the older aspect is also that key element. So there's kind of two things we're talking about, and depending on which side of the fence you're on, um, that may or may not be helpful. Mm-hmm. So just a quick follow-up on this, guys. Like listening to the, the reading the emails from all of these chasers has been very eye-opening. And I'm sure a lot of our our listeners have been very grateful to hear some chaser experiences because we don't get to hear that very often, right? Mm-hmm. Is as we've covered in the past, it's not something that's covered in mainstream culture. And I've met plenty of chubby guys who kind of doubt the chasers exist. So it's <laughs> nice to hear these things from time to time. So I would just like to take the, the time to encourage our chaser listeners to take a special moment to write in. Um, we will share the yeah. we will share what you write in anonymously, unless you exclaim <laughs> that we should do otherwise. Um, <laughs> with we've talked before about ways that chasers can support the chubs they love, and letting us know you exist. Um, and sharing what it's like for you with us, it's a good way to start. Should we just call it the I exist segment? Just <laughs> literally, if that's all you want to write, we'll just remind yes. people, hey, there's another chaser out there. <laughs> well, it's so funny because it, it sounds ridiculous to the chubs, but there are really chasers out there who go, where are all the chubs for me to date? And the chubs mm-hmm. are looking at each other like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> um, let's... Uh, I kind of themed uh, pop culture this week around um, the concept of a naughty list <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because uh, there were two stories that kind of kind of vibed well together, but are also kind of like, come on guys, like disappoint. <laughs> I know disappointed uh, middle school teacher trying yeah, to, trying to get better. through to the kids. Um, we can do better than this. Yeah. Uh, so the first is um, it's from refinery 29 and it's kind of about, uh, it's, about, it's called Lockdown, Loungewear, and Double Standards for Plus Size People. Oh, God, yes. Even outside um, of yeah. lockdown. Yes. But I think, um, I mean, there, obviously during lockdown, we are trying to be more comfortable. And there has been a huge boom in um, just loungewear stuff um, mm-hmm. and very kind of uh, drapey, comfy clothing, which the article kind of goes into the double standard that like fat people aren't allowed to wear clothes like that because then they're seen as slobby or unkempt. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting because it's also, um, there's been in this boom of loungewear a lot of very like oversized clothing, which, you know, shows, okay, these companies can make um, (laughs) clothes for fat people as long as they're for thin people. (laughs) Right. Um, which speaking of, I'm wearing, uh, I, we never really, I was going to do this as like a whole thing on the podcast, but I have my comfy, which is one of these like big, I think it's what a big gift for 2020. And the concept is it's an oversized hooded sweatshirt, which is basically a men's five XL sweatshirt, but for thin people. And you know, it fits anyone. <laughs> and like, it it's doesn't anyone if you're me. under five X. Yeah. This, uh, <laughs> it is 
they managed to start with something that would almost fit me and then alter it in ways because it's for, you know, tiny people. Mm -hmm. Um, I was expecting this big drapey, you know, experience. I'm like, no, it doesn't cover my belly. The point point um, of the article though, comes back to, yes. Uh, yes. the, the double standard that yes. we all know if you're lounging around, right? Wearing oversized baggy things, it's comfortable. There's something warming about it. It's freeing to the body. Most of us enjoy it, but it's something that for some reason, if a fat person does it, it's because you're lazy. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's really frustrating. I'll, I'll be like, everyone likes it. Every single t-shirt I have ever loaned to a female friend that was wet and needed something to cover has never come back home. Huh, they, yeah. have, uh, they have always kept every shirt I have loaned to everyone. Because it's so big and comfy, yeah. Don, like you. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah it, it's just a sucky double standard, especially when we're all just trapped at home. And I don't want to think about how I look. I just want to be comfortable. Um, so loungewear, you're on the naughty list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the other thing, actually, Dan pointed out to me, um, store accused of fat shaming for calling large size women's clothing rotten. Oh, oh, this was this was amazing. So this is a store. Uh, it's a I think in Hong Kong, and I. But there's also a Taiwan uh, a Taiwan tie-in. But anyway, they decided it would be just so cool to get rid of sizing by small, medium, large, extra large for this women's clothing line, and invest in like. Um, can you remember? Do you remember yeah, the sizing, Trevor? So, okay, so read it. <laughs> Sorry, just like it's so bad. Slim, beautiful, rotten, extra rotten, <laughs> and rotten to the core. And obviously these are translations from I suspect Mandarin, but it's still horrible. Uh. But you know, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Even in China, which has really no shame about fat shaming, these oh, people no. were shamed. These people were shamed. And I like that the 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 people who shopped there were like, hey, that's not okay. So the, I, I, mm. I you know, it's it's a triumph, kind of. <laughs> People were upset because that's a triumph, you know. I have to say, I feel like there is a market for this sizing, but it's like if this were like, you know, a radical fatty with like a goth or punk clothing line. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I like okay. these sizings could work. The lesson here is just know your audience. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, we all know what this means. I think uh, uh, the new one size fits all should be rotten to the core. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so in the tradition of um, Victorian Christmas tales that are both spooky and kind of a bummer, we have a special <laughs> uh, Yuletide Lizzo watch, which uh, maybe it's a Lizzo carol this week. <laughs> <laughs> so uh Lizzo watch music but with some sleigh bells. Da, 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 yes. Da, 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 da. Um so <laughs> okay, so I need to set this up with uh, it, this was a it has been a kind of rough period for Lizzo. So naturally it gets worse because it's 2020. <laughs> and of course. there was a Lizzo made an Instagram post earlier this week that kind of blew up. And it was Lizzo did a um, a detox and she did kind of these two montage videos discussing the detox um, and kind of showing it was like progressive, kind of like a before and after thing, um, mm-hmm. talking about the detox and why she was doing it. Because she said, you know, November was stressful. She was in Mexico. She ate a lot of bad food and she was having some like gastro issues, but it received, I mean, it, it everyone blew up about it and yeah yeah it got framed as um people attacking lizzo which i think it was people not attacking lizzo but people at- at- attacking kind of detox culture because in 2018 uh there was this big blow up of like hardcore advertising of detox teas or flat tummy teas on instagram right. from like every single influencer and that is kind of what really, I think, brought a lot of people into body positivity, which now has spun out. Well, I think the <laughs> way to say that is it's what changed body positivity into, oh, look, you can get thin and be positive about your body. Yes. And now that um, and Lizzo, in sharing her experience, tagged the person who she's been working with for this detox 
Um, and when you click on it, her page is fast weight loss with JJ Smith. Um, and she does kind of oh. promote these detoxing products, but it is all kind of fra- fa- uh, framed through weight loss and losing belly fat and all these before and after pictures. And that's the real disconnect for me here because Lizzo goes out of her way to say that, you know, I wanted to do something healthy. And so I did this thing and she said, I wanted to talk about it because so often we look at fat people doing something healthy. And then we take the extra step of saying, oh, so they must be trying to lose weight. And she made the point of saying, I I wasn't trying to lose weight. I was trying to do something healthy. And then the disconnect is the disconnect is she links to this, this product that she's using and the person who, who, who created it. And it's all about weight loss through detoxing. It sort of, it deliberately conflates the two. And so that's, that's the, the sliminess in the background. You can decide how much you want to attach that to Lizzo, but that's that's where it kind of falls apart for me. And no, I right. totally get what she's saying with that. I, I mentioned that I did the master cleanse detox for two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. This was like five, six, seven years ago. Um, and it was not to lose weight. It was out, it was purely scientific curiosity on if I could physically do it, what it would make me feel like. I was curious. And I'm not going to avoid something I'm curious about because oh no, people are gonna think I'm dieting with this thing, which is not a diet. It's not done for weight loss. So unless it is, you know, unless someone goes in with that intent. Oh, well, I guess I'll lose weight. You can That's go right. in with that intent, but that yeah. diet is not intended for that. So, well, and it brings up yeah. the whole point of, you know, there's no scientific studies that support that detoxing does anything close to detoxing. In fact, you could argue that it puts more stress on the body mm-hmm. uh, when you're trying to. So uh, that's a whole other conversation. I'm not going to tell people what to eat or not eat. Yeah. I mean, and I, de- <laughs> detoxing is a marketing talk anyway. There's no such yeah. thing as detoxing. Yeah. And, Lizzo's response to this was so generous, so much more than she needed to do yeah. in the midst of kind of being at the center of something that she didn't ask for. She said this before. I mean, she mm-hmm. said what really kind of, I mean, I feel like Lizzo watch for me personally has been kind of gotten weird since she has kind of been in the stark place and talking about it on uh, the David Letterman Netflix show and kind of, you know, she has reluctantly become the voice of fat activism, body positivity, whatever you want to call it, um, because she is out there and not apologizing for her body. Yeah. Um, right. And people's projections of what they think or feel she should or shouldn't be doing. Yes. Which is, it always comes back to that, whether or not you feel like you're supporting Lizzo or not, if you're holding her up to be this icon, I mean, that's what she was talking about to David Letterman is that she didn't ask for that. Like she wasn't, intending to be that and she just sort of fell into it Mm -hmm. and it adds all of this sort of outside pressure to suddenly represent yourself in a very specific way um and i think also it's uh, says a lot that she you know is uncomfortable with it and now is being vocal about it but continuing to still stay in this role and i mean just uh, in i know i've talked with a lot of people kind of in the stratosphere about it and just the the generosity and patience with handling all of this is, you know, more than anyone deserves. Well, can you just um, imagine if you're if you're a pop star, if you if what you do is you make music and you make joy and how much of what's written about her has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. And, and right. I, we have seen this before. I'm reminded of the whole Ellen experience back mm. in the 90s where she became the very reluctant spokesperson for all things LGTB. <laughs> that was never what her work was about. It is now. Ever. You know, yeah. <laughs> she was she was the most family friendly, innocuous comic comic that just avoided sexuality in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but as soon as she got outed, if she didn't make a lesbian joke every half hour, then people felt let down by her. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh Merry Christmas, Lizzo. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. God bless us all. Yeah. Um, everyone. And, yes, everyone. Merry Christmas, Lizzo. Which seems like a great way to pivot to our main topic. Yes. And what is Christmas <laughs> Merry about? Christmas, everyone. Uh, I think either Dan or Michael maybe should. I think Dan, just because Dan is very performative. He has his background. <laughs> he can be reading the. <laughs> oh, you want me to read it? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. To introduce okay. our subject for the day. Okay. So um, let's see if you can guess our subject for the day based on this reading. <laughs> 
<laughs> his eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a berry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. The stump on the pipe he held in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. It's Santa! <laughs> Santa! And of Yay! course, that is, a, that is the poem, A Visit from St. Nick, by uh, Clement Clark Moran. But it was written in 1823. And the reason we start with that is because we kind of want to get this idea of Santa. He's an icon for many chasers. And we thought we'd go back to the beginning of what how Santa is envisioned before uh, all the modern takes on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We want to do a deep dive into Santa, as it were. <laughs> now, Michael's been there. Yeah, <laughs> going to come right on down. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> well, and again, it's funny because with our listener, uh, with our audience, there's going to be maybe three types of people in our audience. There's going to be guys who uh, see a little bit of themselves in Santa, whether because of the size or whatever. They're going to be the guys who know who Santa is and appreciate him. And then there are going to be the audience members that want to bang the hell out of Santa. Yep. Those are the three. Um, <laughs> we may be the only <laughs> podcast in existence that will have to deal with the fuckability of Santa in our podcast, <laughs> um, which is an interesting place um, to be. For me, Santa is an interesting icon, right? Because one of the things we've gone into in the past so much is the way fat people are represented in media. And if you think about it in general, Santa Claus is the one fat icon that is always portrayed in the most positive light you can imagine. He, Although he is fat, his fat is presented um, as a wonderful thing, a plush thing, a, a symbol of uh, opulence and oh, comfort oh, oh. and joy, yeah. right? Right. Um, he is not portrayed as stupid. Santa is not stupid. You know, he's not portrayed as selfish or cruel. He has every positive trait you could hope for representation, and he's the only fat character that can say that. That's yeah, I true. think that's yeah, and yeah, so for me accurate. that felt important. Like it, it's there is somewhere once a year where I can see a representation of of myself in some small way that is not being denigrated. And no matter how right. fat he is, he fits down a chimney. Yep. <laughs> There's no the, doubt that he can do his job because of his weight. Yeah, that's that's what you it know? is. That's what I was trying to say. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, as as a fat man, he, Santa's actually a refreshing breather moment, right? Where I I can see that icon and know that no one's going to be defacing him or mocking him in general. Although some people, uh, we'll get into that later. Hmm. But <laughs> well, and his weight, I was going to say for chasers is why he's held up as a Rome as a as an object of desire for a lot of chasers. <laughs> now, it's, it is not at all to say that every chaser isn't a Santa Claus far from it. Mm. But there are right. there are chasers for whom Santa is it like that is mm-hmm. they are looking. Mm-hmm. And we talked about older versus younger. I've met chasers in their early 20s. Their whole fantasy is to be with a white bearded fat 60 year old guy who looks like santa right and then the question so this is kind of where we came to the the poem and like what is now the modern view of santa sort of the rosy eyes chubby cheeks uh big belly and like where like because santa has been visually represented in a lot of different ways yeah and my curiosity is like okay so you have a chaser's interest in santa but which santa because there are Mm. They're, like they will describe him differently. Like ch- this is where we talk about chasers are like, you can't just say, oh, you like fat guys, right? Well, no, I like this kind of fat guy most. And like there's a ver- there's a spectrum. And so the way that a chaser describes what he likes in Santa, you could that could skew towards the bear world more but than anything. I would actually on- go out and say that when you look at the way diff- Santa is represented by different artists, that is the it's not just chasers. That is the form, the most positive form that these artists can conceive of a fat body, right? Which form? So any artist no, no, drawing form? Santa. Santa. <laughs> Santa. Oh, yeah, I see. So, if, you, if they want to make fat positive, they make him Santa? Is yeah. That what you mean? So okay. for, if, by looking at the way they draw Santa, do they draw him as sort of a big bearish guy? Do they emphasize the roundness? Um, is he pretty straight and lean for Santa? There are certain people who do sort of a, a barely chubby fa- Santa in their imagery. 
Uh, but it's a way to t- kind of look into people's mind who don't think of the body as sexualized. But th- in that moment, they're trying to find the beauty in a body that they don't often draw in any kind of kind or appreciative way. So how do they represent it? I think it tells something about them, which I think is interesting. It's true. Yeah. And, and I also think there's a component there if they're not treating Santa as a sexual object. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, can't, I don't, can't imagine why. Um, <laughs> but there's that idea. Uh, I, I think there's also, Dom, the idea of like, how can we make this fat character acceptable to present? And so in the same way that like, it reminds me of Tim Gunn when he was dealing with like a fat model or clothes for fat people, he would talk about hiding and concealing and making mm. something a little less noticeable. And <laughs> which was just hateful. But the same thing, I think, with a lot of artists who are rendering Santa, it's like, well, he's got a big rosy, he's got big rosy cheeks. They just happen to be fat. And we're, of course, we're never going to show him, unless it's erotica, we're, ne- we're always going to show him with as much clothing as possible uh, so that it's not about the body. That's exactly where I was going with it was the idea that, yes, Santa is very much held up as this, you know, overwhelmingly positive figure, but he's also completely desexualized. Like you kind of, Dan brought this up last a couple weeks ago when we were talking about um, Godmothered. Uh, I mean, in that case, I think it makes sense, but just the idea that a lot of fat characters are very desexualized. Um, In fact, probably most fat characters. And I think that a hundred percent applies to santa except for you know the chasers out there <laughs> well and I, I mean if you're if you're screaming in your head it's like well of course he's desexualized he's a child's icon and he's an old man and like but like if you put him together with mrs claus which is frequently done mrs claus makes appearances variously and often mm-hmm. there's still mm. i mean it's you barely get a peck on the cheek it's it's very it's very much, you know, Lucy and Ricky sleep in separate beds. If, if, well, here's how I would say, because obviously the initial context for Santa doesn't need any kind of sexualization. But if you were to get a mainstream, like out in the world, pop culture, mainstream representation of a quote unquote sexy Santa, would he still be fat? No, I don't think so. And every sexual Santa, every sexy Santa I've ever seen. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say ever seen, but yeah, they're usually hot young guys in their twenties with abs wearing a Santa cap. That's the traditional exactly. sexual. That's the sexualized Santa. I mean, so I just brought up some images by Norman Rockwell. Mm. I, it looks like it's Santa relaxing in a gigantic onesie. Um, <laughs> Ooh. Oh, is it red underwear? Flap? Yeah, it's like red mm. underwear, and he's got like it looks like he just ate a big meal, and he's got a napkin sort of draped over his crotch, and he's looking exhausted. Really? And I'm like. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I think that's I'll I mean, share it. I think that's called his lap don his lap. <laughs> Here's my question though. Mm-hmm. Uh and this is going into like definitions and everybody hates definitions, but they're what we've got. It, it, that picture that you're looking at, the Norman Rockwell painting, mm-hmm. is that a chub? Is that a bear? Is that a daddy? Is it a combination of all three? It's what? it's 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 whatever you're bringing to it because it's all of those. Cool. Yeah. I would agree. If you're into chubs, that's a chub. If you're it's, into bears, that's a bear. If you're into daddies, that's a daddy. Yeah. It's like the rabbit and the duck. <laughs> the optical illusion? Yes. There's an optical illusion where <laughs> mm-hmm. it's from when you look at it one way, it looks like a rabbit. The other way you look at it, it's a duck. And I'm, I think there's actually a term for this type of optical illusion, which someone yes. is probably screaming in their car because that's how I imagine <laughs> most of this podcast goes. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think it's one of those things. Like I kind of feel like I am a rabbit or a duck because mm-hmm, guys yes. either see me as like, the, you know, smooth cherubic or like I am this bear, this girr, like <laughs> scratch well, my chest bear. Well, because you're, you're, you know, far from smooth, but you're like the teddy bear cherub. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a, it's, uh, it's just a marketing thing for you. If you want to market yourself to, the people who are gravitating to the the, the cherubic chubs or the, mm. the hairy bears. So does Santa promote obesity? Discuss. <sighs> <laughs> no. Worst transition no. ever. No. And then our Next. balloon landed in a magical land called Fatphobia. <laughs> this, I mean, this is the uh, thing of like, I feel like you can just point at anything and like, that promotes obesity. That dog, this, look at that dog. It's eating some food. That food couch, makes that you couch, fat. That couch yeah. promotes obesity. People sit on it, do nothing. <laughs> what it comes down to is, and the reason why I bring it up is because there's there was a, 
several several people have basically claimed that Santa is a bad role model because he's fat. Right? Uh, uh, there was a study that came out of Melbourne that kind of made that point in 2009. Uh, there's a bunch of people that picked that up and ran with it. Uh, there are a lot. Of, if you do a search for a Santa a good role model online, you're going to get a huge number of hits that are saying he doesn't watch what he eats, he's fat, and he drinks alcohol. Um, <laughs> and some will point out that he smokes, but that's getting less and less. Yeah, you know. And th- I think I mentioned in our very first episode that that pissed me the fuck off. Yeah, this is a person who spends once a year in an eternal, never-ending hell delivering toys to your children to make them smile and you think he's a bad person because he's fat fuck you yeah you know? i mean that is i really love your way of encapsulating that and you're like no matter what he does he's bad because he's fat he's literally the icon of generosity and good spirit in the <laughs> darkest time of the year but he can't do that and be fat yeah do you know, do you know how long santa has to wait in line to get those playstation fives this year <laughs> <laughs> Someone calculated how many years it would take for someone to complete a trip all the way across the globe, delivering presents to every single house in existence. And it was something like hundreds of years in one night. Yeah. You know, just mm. it reminds me, you know, way back, way back in the in the dark times, at a different time when I was leading another life, I was hired by a, a little company called The Learning Company, and they were famous for making really high end educational software for kids. And I was working on a completely different project. I was working on something for their high school market. But um, my partner at the time was supervising a project they were doing for little kids. And it was like counting games and shape identifying games. And if you, you know, if you know educational software, you know that built into the learning part, it's framed as a game and games have a reward when you win. And mm-hmm. the way it had been designed is that if you win this particular round, you get an ice cream cone. And if you win it again, you get two ice cream cones. And mm. the educational consultants say, no, you can't do that. You can't promote eating ice cream as a reward. And so they redesigned the reward system so that it was like, you get to read more books. What? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was, but it was this idea of the food police and uh, how are kids going to take this and blah, yeah. blah, blah. and I'm not even going to argue with whether you should use ice cream as a reward. That's not the point. <laughs> but my point is like it is just so baked into everything we do yeah. when we talk about kids. We talk about diet culture. Do people want us to be like, you get a cup of tea that makes you shit yourself? <laughs> yeah. Would that make a people happy? Tea. Yeah, exactly. Your reward is a nice cup of detox tea. A diuretic for, a diuretic for the whole family. Uh, Spicky is somebody who grew up with uh, the basically the family and the parents having a pretty tight lid on anything sweet in the house. The kind of craving it creates in a kid to want sweets forever and ever and more and more and more to... Uh, when you withhold them is nothing compared uh, (laughs) is so much greater than you could ever imagine. uh, I am convinced that whatever you deny your children is what they're going to crave later in life. Yeah, that's yes. No homework or broccoli for you. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, like I have an obsession for comic books and I think it stems from the fact that my mom wouldn't let me read them when I was a little kid because they were for older kids. Oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, which <laughs> and then when you're gave, and then when you're older, they tell you it's for younger kids. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that 100 percent. You know, but I think it's really interesting to see this sort of uh, pushback against the fact Santa, considering the origins of our modern Santa. Right. So like Santa was originally this tall, thin bishop dude uh, from it was like 200 years ago, 300 years ago, something like that. St. Nicholas, yeah. the Finnish or the Dutch invented to want he wandered the streets at night. And put treats in children's shoes yes. that were left out in front of their house. What we think of as Santa today started kind of evolving out of poems written in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. uh, but really gelled uh, from the Coca-Cola campaign, I believe, in the 1930s. Right? Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. the 1930s was coming out of the Depression or in the Depression, right? So his fatness, his roundness was... Um, a symbol of food, a symbol of plenty, a symbol of enough, right? Which nobody had. Yeah, of not being deprived. Time period. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so 
that thing that it, it was literally designed. His body was designed to give comfort. Mm-hmm. Right. And now we are rejecting that, you know, or, well, and- or a lot of a large por- a portion of our society is. Companies want icons that will cut through the noise, right? Oh, yeah. And so advertising something with Santa at Christmas time, no one's going to notice because everyone's doing it. That's why Coca-Cola went out of their way to invent their polar bears, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The polar bears are now iconic of Coke. So when you see those, you immediately know what they're branding. But yep. see, even a few years ago, there was this whole anti-obesity campaign Oh yeah, with the polar bears and like the really? polar bears like – Getting mm-hmm. diabetes and like ha- being amputee polar bears. I'm like, <laughs> no, they oh, just show yeah. them all happy and roly poly. They don't show them having to amputate their feet because yeah. of diabetes afterwards. <laughs> polar bears can't even drink quote. Coke. <laughs> 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 uh, I actually think you draw an interesting line, Don, which is there's the sort of I don't want to say it's innocuous, but I'll call it casual fat oppression of like, you know, this the skinny person next to you goes like, oh, I don't know if I should have diet Italian dressing or regular Italian dressing on my kale salad. I just, you know, I feel so bloated. And you're like, shut the fuck up. And you want to, you know, strangle them. That's sort of a casual, unintentional, like microaggression. But then to go out of your way to, you know, show amputee polar bears because of diabetes, that is an active, (laughs) you gotta, you gotta have fat oppression on your daily agenda to get that shit done. Like that is an active act of war because you just can't tolerate fat people. Or to besmirch the iconic symbol of childhood joy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nothing's good enough. I can't enough if underscore you're fat. that enough. No, you're you absolutely know? right. You're absolutely right. If you're fat, nothing's good enough. And never leave will. Santa alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. So, uh, Michael, Dan, did either of you have a thing for Santa growing up? No, because um, I was sort of the opposite kid of. Of I really I really liked younger guys, even as a younger guy. And, you know, I remember thinking when I was 21, like, oh, my God, 30. Who the hell would date a 30 year old? That's so old. And, you know, now being in my 50s and having interest from 20 year olds, I'm like, wow, OK, this really works for me. I don't know what the hell they see in me, but it works for me. Hmm. Dan, <laughs> was it hard for you to overcome your lisp at age 21? <laughs> it was. It was. <laughs> Um, I don't remember actually having anything specific for Santa when I was a kid. I don't, that wasn't really, I don't remember ever that, that ever really being a thing. I mean, I think, I I think for me, there's a fine, like Santa, how he's represented can either be attractive to me or completely not attractive to me. It, it, there's a fine line there because it, it starts to veer toward the edge of what I'm into, um, and I more specifically like more into bear culture with like the big bushy beard. And, you know, a lot of people see Santa as a more dominant figure. Um, that is, doesn't is Santa really, top. I, <laughs> I, I think the one thing we could agree Claus. on about Santa is that he's versatile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Any chimney. I'm, just, I'm just saying a lot of people like him stuffed down their chimney. That's all I'm saying. That's right. <laughs> Any chimney, anytime. <laughs> Oof. I, yeah, I don't have any specific. He was not top of the list. I'll put you that. Put it that way. So, listeners, was Santa something that you found especially interesting? Write us in. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> What's your relationship with Santa? We'll answer. We'll answer your letters to Santa as sexy Santa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Trevor, you're going to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> um, in lieu of a tip or a bit, this or week, in combination of yes, our tips a tip bit, a bit. Um, tip. We're sharing some of our tip. favorite holiday recipes. Yes, and I. So, uh, if nobody else is is wants to start, I will go first because I'm very excited about mine because it's very easy. Mm-hmm. This is the one. This is literally like, and by the way, and I'm just going to preface this for my own, and I'm sure it probably applies to the, the rest of you as well. This is supposed to taste good. I'm not talking about a fucking healthy recipe. This is a t- recipe that will make you go, wow, that's delicious. Mm-hmm. So let's start there. Oh, you mean like it's uh, food? M- <laughs> yes, like, like food that you would want to put in your mouth and enjoy <laughs> as an experience, preferably with other people around who can also enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom has a recipe for... Hurley's chocolate silk pie, oh my. which is the simplest thing to make. It's 
absolutely delicious. All you need is baker's chocolate, eggs, sugar, uh, and a, a pie crust. And you can either make that yourself or or get one at the store if you want. Like it's the easiest thing in the world. Stand mixer. Um, the trick is you have to make sure that your butter is room temperature, but not melting and not separating. It has to be room temperature, not cold, not hot. Um, besides that is mix it all together and make a delicious pie. I'm just curious. Is it a pastry crust or a graham cracker crust or an Oreo crust or what's the crust here? Mark? Traditional, traditional pie crust is what I would recommend. I mean, hell, if you can make a lard pie crust, that's even better. It's a but, pastry you know, crust. Most okay. people, yeah. yeah, most people don't opt for that. No, nice. I, I prefer that crust because usually you get a little bit of saltiness in a traditional pie crust that mm. you wouldn't get in something like a graham cracker. And I think the pie filling itself is so silky and sweet and delicious and it's the star of the show. And so I don't want, personally, I don't want a bunch of like cinnamon graham flavors. You know, what was the type of the pie? What was the pie called again? It's Pearly's chocolate silk pie. A lot of people call it like, so here's the thing. A lot of people will say they have a chocolate silk pie. And then when you eat it, it's fucking mousse. And it's <laughs> not a chocolate silk pie. And it, they're oh. different. Mousse is perfectly fine. I don't have an <laughs> objection to that on its own. It's just not the same. Chocolate silk pie is deliciously dense and silky and smooth. And it's a very different bite. Like a very high um, class pudding? I, it's it's closer to fudge, honestly. If you wanted to equate it to something, it's like a step and a half away from fudge as far as density. Um, it's mm. it's more in that world. So it's, it's quite not, thick. It's, yeah, it's not fluffy at all, really. Mm -hmm. It's it's a fairly dense, silky, soft thing. And keep um, it refrigerated because it has raw eggs. Fair enough. Uh, I'll follow that up with, uh, I think I might have mentioned it around Thanksgiving when I made a couple batches and delivered it to two people shut in. Um, <laughs> I love Indian pudding. Mm. Uh, something, uh, we occasionally had when I was growing up, I have not seen it outside of new England. So I figured I would share it with uh, people out here. It's basically a molasses sort of, uh, molasses cornmeal custard. It's the mm. best way to describe it. That's baked at a low heat for a long period of time. That sounds lovely. Um, uh, the best it way is. I can describe it, it's as though, uh, bread pudding and pumpkin pie had a love child. And he was sent off to study at Cornbread University. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want to go uh, there. <laughs> but uh, it's the delicious sort of hot uh, molasses uh, corn custard that you serve with uh, whipped cream or ice cream that you let melt into it as though it was a souffle. Ooh, and hmm. holy crap, is it good. I think we might have to make that. Yeah, that sounds delicious. Yeah. I have a feeling these are going to be mostly dessert themed. <laughs> mine is actually not a dessert. Um, <gasps> Trevor, what is yours? So mine is, uh, I haven't made this in a very long time, but it is, um, it's a recipe from Amy Sedaris's first book, I Like You, and it's called <laughs> A Lil Smoky Cheese Ball. Um, <laughs> and there's been a couple of times where I've made these for Christmas. Um, and basically... For those of you who aren't from the Midwest, a cheese ball is basically a a big <laughs> ball of cheese, but usually it's you shred cheese and mix it with a uh, cream cheese and butter. Um, in this case, nice. it's smoked Gouda, uh, some cream cheese, some butter, a uh, little milk to thin it out. Amy, the recipe calls for uh, steak sauce. I use Worcestershire sauce because it kind of has that same umami mm -hmm. depth to it. And then you kind of mix all of this together, form it into a ball. And roll it in uh, chopped toasted nuts. Um, I like to do the like the party nut mix, just because I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of flavors going on, and it has um, I don't know, Christmas party vibes. Um, yeah. And you can make a giant ball with this. You can scale the recipe. So if I make the full recipe, um, I'll split it into like four baseball sized cheese balls. Um, and nice. that way you can give them out. Um, if you make, if you're going to make just one for like, I don't know, yourself or for your family, <laughs> um, I would have the recipe and it's still just going to be a very large ball of cheese. <laughs> um, but it's very, it's really nice. It's, it's good on crackers. Um, Amy in the, in the book, she says like, you know, if you're having a couple of parties and they, people don't finish it, you can kind of like smush it back. <laughs> And then roll it in nuts again. <laughs> back, then, into a, back into a ball again. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> You can re-gift it. That's brilliant. <laughs> that reminds me of like one of my old guilty pleasures for Christmas that I, I have forgot about. I haven't had it in years. Uh, and I'm sort of embarrassed because it's mm, 
port cheese, the port cheese balls. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Cheddar port and port. That's lovely. Yeah. I really like that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, my, my is a, uh, it's, it's eggnog and there's two things. I mean, you can just make eggnog, which is, well, you could just go buy a quart of eggnog. Uh, but my innovation is I, I, most people, uh, have eggnog cold. And I find that if you buy, if you go to the store and buy a really nice eggnog, uh, a really nice eggnog is often found in a glass container instead of a mm-hmm. carton. Mm-hmm. And then you put in uh, a respectable, not an expensive brandy or an expensive cognac because come on, it's eggnog. Uh, but you know, <laughs> something that's decent, something that's not swill, something that's not $5 for a, a quart. And uh, you heat the eggnog even just on the microwave and you put in uh, some of your brandy and it's really, it's really delicious. Uh, just be careful because eggnog is high fat. And when you heat like a really fatty drink, it's incredibly temperature sensitive, but <laughs> like you can burn your mouth so badly. Like it could be the same temperature of coffee, but because it's hot fat, it's has, it's, it's like, it's a different kind of burn. It's a and like my, burn. Other, my other variation of this, a much classier version is Alton Brown has what he calls aged eggnog and it's really simple except it's hard to make because you can't drink it right away because you have to age it and it's Hmm. three or four different liqueurs of brandy and bourbon and just wonderful mix it's like half it's i'd say maybe a third of these this combination of alcohols and then cream and milk and you just put it in your refrigerator in july and let it age and age (laughs) and age no he's serious about that uh you can age it as long as you want i think his longest is he's like been able to stay out of it is three months. That's the hard part. It's not drinking it because you want to make it and then drink mm-hmm. it. But uh, I have some in the fridge and we're going to open it on Christmas. It's been in there since ah. about late October and I'm Ooh. really eager to try it. I'm going to try it cold. I want to try it hot. It's got just very basic, a little bit of nutmeg. I don't even remember if there's cinnamon, but like the main space, the main spice is, uh, is nutmeg, but mm-hmm. I'm very curious about this. And then just for the purists out there, there are some very ornate, eggnog recipes that involve egg yolks making a custard folding in beaten egg whites you can do all that i'm just not sure you need to and to, for anyone who's looking for context here having yeah. had some of dan's eggnog before uh he likes he likes a good strong uh what was it you put in there bourbon or i, I or, put uh, in i actually put in cognac but you know a good healthy dose yeah so a nice pool of cognac and a splash of eggnog. <laughs> you're good to go. <laughs> well, and and warm it. I really do recommend warming it, which most people don't do with eggnog. Uh, you can. Uh, you you usually don't do this with the egg white formulation, but uh, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Very good. Where I grew up, we had this place called the Jonas Studios that made all of like the animals in mid-leap statues for the Natural History Museums. Mm. Um, and they used to have a big Christmas party every year. And the centerpiece for the party was this enormous punch bowl that was like four feet across, filled with eggnog, uh, spiked eggnog, that they would keep cold by dumping whole gallons of vanilla ice cream in over the course of the night. Oh, my God. As though it was, they were ice cubes, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. The kids in the town, we didn't know about the eggnog. We, We just knew there was big old blocks of ice cream in there, and we wanted that. So as soon as they left that eggnog unattended, we would raid that eggnog bowl and you would have snocker children with ice cream headaches all over the party. It was amazing. Oh my God. Very fond memories. Oh. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> is a bitch. Is a bitch. Just imagining uh, Tiny Tim is like, God bless you. God, <laughs> God bless you. Oh, you know what I try to say. I love you, God. <laughs> you're all Santa. As far as I'm concerned, you're all Santa. <laughs> so I hope that some of these recipes we're sharing with you are going to help contribute to uh, as good a holiday as any of us can have in 2020. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. wishing you joy, wishing you a bit of peace. Um, wishing you a day of some tasty treats and some lovely times. Yeah. Um, and let us know if you end up trying some of these recipes, I would love to hear yes. what you guys uh, think. So let us know. You can tell us about your experiences with our recipes or your experiences with Santa. You oh, can and- also, we forgot to mention, we'll have the recipes posted on yes, our page. On our you can find them for real. <laughs> yes. We're on Twitter and Instagram as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on Apple and Stitcher. 
If you want to see the recipes, they're at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Merry Christmas. I think that's the smoothest I have done that in a while. It's a Christmas gift to all of you. For those at home, I didn't have to edit that one. (laughs) Um, Maybe you're listening to this as you're scolding your mouth with some eggnog. And uh, you get a little ding on Growler. And it's Santa. And he's downstairs. So... Look out, everybody. (laughs) And Merry Christmas. Because Santa's a dumb top. Merry Christmas. I heard Santa's hung as hell. Oh, Oh, dear Lord. Okay, I'm going to... I'm ending recording, and I'm running to the bathroom. (laughs) 